all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 347 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Combat Search and Rescue Unit episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that this three-time active rescue group, first from 1942 to 1946, then from 1947 to 1950, and finally from 1991 all the way to now, has been an active apparently, Combat Search and Rescue Unit, and it is known as the 347th Rescue Group, all the way out of the U.S. Air Force. And with that wonderful little bit of random rescue group knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim! And it sounds like, Matthew, I am having to compete with your plant bukkake in the throat. Yes, yes, it sounds like each of us has our own vocal issues, if you will. But that's okay. At least mine can spread to another living being. In my defense, the plant bukkake version of what I have technically doesn't spread. At least not for me. I mean, I can't give someone a pollen allergy, so... Well, maybe if you just like spit right into that little corner of their eye and let it sit there for about a day, you know, I'm sure they'll come down with something. It's entirely possible. That's right. I may not be able to give you an allergy, but damn it if I can't give you a good case of pink eye. Ah, uh, that's <laughs> hilarious. So here we sit, recording as it were on the on the end of our Labor Day. Where I think we actually were both off uh, for a change, right? We actually got to have a day away from labors. This, yes, yeah, and I, I mean, is this like your first Labor Day off, given uh, the job you previously had? Um, no, I would get it off every once in a while, but I mean, I would specifically have to request it. But uh, so, I mean, now you can have both Labor Day and Memorial Day off. Every time. Every single Every time. Every time. That's right. I'm looking forward to that. Welcome to uh, real life uh, corporate America. Well, kind of sort of corporate America. Job workforce <laughs> America. Those those, uh, those uh, long fabled air quotes bankers hours uh, that uh, so many people hear about. Right. Right. Exactly. So, how, what did, did you do anything fun and exciting for your Labor Day weekend, your three-day weekend? Did you grill some burgers, throw some chops on the barbie, or... Actually, we had a very low-key, I guess, block party-esque party. But, uh, yeah, I, and so I decided to take a step back uh, from the grilling action. I only did burgers. I did not do the whole shebang and kitten caboodle of everything I normally do. And I invited anyone who wanted to add to the grilling action the use of my grill. Uh, normally, I would grill everything that I would grill, and then people would bring me things and be like, oh, hey, can you grill this too? And then I would do that as well. Not this time. I wanted to sit back and drink some beer and smoke a nice big fat Cuban cigar, and that is what I did. Cuban cigar? Are we? Yeah. Are you allowed to admit that? You are, as it turns out. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Does it have that stipulated on the Cuban cigar? <laughs> no, no. And in a very, you know, uh, the meme, of course, is still real. But in a very unironic way, thanks, Obama. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, he lifted the train embargo. So um, that, you know, like, remember, what, back in 2015, I guess, like, Conan O'Brien went down to Cuba and did a show down there. Sure. And, like, everybody was, like, free. Okay, so with that kind of the, – those diplomatic channels, if you will, now, you can do things like go to Jamaica or whatever. Like, um, I basically had a friend of mine go on a cruise, and when he was down there, he's like, oh, hey, you want me to get some cigars? And I was like, yeah, see if you can give me some Cuban cigars. And I told him about the existing ways that people might bring Cuban cigars in, whether or not they – uh, would necessarily need to do that, I wouldn't know, right? Because why would you want to cop to any of that stuff? Pardon me. 
had a couple hits of the plant bukkake, if I manage to just kind of drop out on you, that's what's going on, folks. Don't worry, it's not poor editing skills or Tim having dif- difficulties or me having technical difficulties. It's just me dying, dying over here. Anyway, so when uh, so when my buddy came back, I noticed that you know it was clearly a Cuban cigar. And I'm like, hey, he's like, oh yeah, you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. You're allowed to bring, uh, even if they're Cubans, you're allowed to bring 100 cigars or $800 worth of cigars back with you. No taxes, no TABC, none of that stuff. And so I was like, sweet. So we ended up enjoying some Cuban cigars. I will say this. I've always wanted to smoke one. Never had the chance. Oh, well, you've been to like Mexico and stuff, right? Yeah, like when I was 10. Oh. I'm not going to like waltz up to Mexico and as a 10 year old and somebody, somebody may or may not have just been in Europe where they could have bought a Cuban cigar. No problem. And tried one out. I didn't want to get a cigar in Europe because I pretty much killed myself from smoking cigars at my, or at said person's wedding, possibly. No, I we we were transporting a lot of wine, so we didn't want to deal with by you know going over the limit of you know any laws, uh, boundary territory laws or whatnot with transporting all this wine and then taking the risk of transporting Cuban cigars along with it. Gotcha. So so you shredded the old you shredded the old throat at the old wedding. With all the smoking of the cigars? No, I didn't. Uh, a couple people had, actually. A couple people got horribly sick uh, after the wedding because they aren't used to smoking a lot of cigars. I thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, I am looking at some of the leftover cigars right here. It's just, unfortunately, that really cool ashtray uh, I got for the wedding is missing. I think it accidentally got thrown away, so... No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. No, I think I think the person who got married should reach out to their father and see if it inadvertently got packed with the rest of that cigar stuff and is now in Texas. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to look at it like one of those Chinese lanterns thing. What's that like, <laughs> that ceremonial lantern thing that eventually goes up to the sky and I guess burns up? Uh, <laughs> well, this the, is my... The funeral lantern thing where you put it on the river and it goes... <laughs> right, yeah. This is my ceremonial <laughs> ashtray that... Uh, it's only good for two days and then got accidentally thrown away. <laughs> that's funny. I actually, speaking of uh, the the groom's dad, I still have to reach out to him. We have not had a chance to hang out, and I need to smoke that cigar with him over at Tapped. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, you're talking about the Richard Branson and Jeff Bridges hybrid of a human being. Yes, that is correct. Maybe slightly angrier. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to have the scar in here with him now. <laughs> yeah, he'll just like smash it in your face when you're least expecting it. How dare you! How dare you throw me under the bus about that ashtray? Nobody knew. How the hell did you know? I would just—I've just figured you had cigars too, man. Maybe you took a bag with you. I don't know. Well, so now that we know that you're doing okay and I'm doing okay, and uh, I mean, on the on the whole, so shall we? get to our bonus segment this week? I wouldn't say that I'm doing okay on the whole, if you know what I mean. But yes, we shall (laughs) uh, definitely move on to the bonus segment. (laughs) Here we go, folks. I'm the only one who liked it. Who is the one that liked this movie? Not me. Who is the one that wants to watch again? Oh, you? Who is the one that wants to watch the movie? That was stupid. I'm the only one that liked it. That's me, folks, watching the movie. Oh man. I like that movie and nobody else did. That intro is the only intro that Tim and I ever came up with on the fly, in the moment, that has stuck all these years. So I just want you to know there was, there was a little bit of magic that you just got to listen to. <sighs> um, anyway, so Tim, do you want to go first? You want me to go first this time? Um, I can go first. 
All right. Bring it on, sir. Bring it on. So the film that I chose for I'm the Only One Who Liked It is a film that turned out to be a box office bomb um, with a budget of, let's see here, $25 million. The, the movie only brought in $11.9 million. And this is surprising considering it is a George Clooney directed film and it stars – uh, Matt Damon, Julian Moore, and uh, Oscar Isaacs, uh, and it was actually written also by uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen, along with George Clooney. This, of course, is the 2017 film Suburbicon. According to Wikipedia, it is an American black comedy film written directed by George Clooney. And it follows a mild-mannered father who must face his demons after a home invasion shakes his quaint neighborhood in 1959. It is loosely based on a 1957 incident in Levittown, Pennsylvania, in which a black family moved into the previously all-white neighborhood, leading to racism and violence against the family. Welcome to Suburbicon, a town of great wonder and excitement. Hey there. Built with the promise of prosperity for all. Nikki, you need to get up. There are men in the house. Son, there's something I have to tell you. Those men killed your mom. We've decided it'd be best if your Auntie Margaret came and stayed with us. Nikki needs a mother. We'll be strong. We'll be fine. Mr. Lodge? Yes. You know a character named Rizzoli? He's a loan shark. If you were into the mob for money, that might explain what happened to your wife. Hi, pal. <laughs> this is the last time that clown's gonna ignore us. Take care of a kid. These animals took everything from us. I have to make decisions like what's best for the family. It's the police. Any progress on the investigation? A mobster got killed a couple of days ago. I can end the conversation real quick. Sorry for his loss. Of life? Yeah, I guess he probably is too. Nobody's I'm here to collect. What do you want? I want all of it. All of it. Nothing like this ever happens here. This is a safe place. It was. Would you like a cup of coffee? I could have you killed in no time. I'm gonna kill you too. <laughs> there you have it. That is a very basic outline of the film and if you've seen the trailer before you might think this is a quaint goofy silly dark comedy featuring matt damon playing the father who is trying to figure out what the hell is going on something is happening and he's having to fix something to make life better for he and his family that is not the case at all um people were going into it expecting it to be this dark comedy and it turns out to be more of a just just a dark film with comedic elements kind of sprinkled throughout and in fact this movie focuses more on the son than the father and the son is played by let me see uh noah jupe he plays nikki lodge the gardener's son and uh matt damon is gardener lodge and uh julian moore is rose and plays also the twin sister margaret i'm tempted to spoil the twist because the twist comes early on which is why i think a lot of people were pissed off because once the movie started laying the foundation of what the trailer gave you, it takes a radical turn. And whom you think the movie will focus on, it focuses on somebody completely different. For instance, the son. And who the bad guy turns out to be, turns out to be someone you're not expecting. Uh, and that is actually Matt Damon and uh, and Julianne Moore. So the movie quickly turns into a film about a father trying to kill his son. And it just so happens there is a black family living next door. And at the same time, they're dealing with uh, horrible racism and people uh, trying to get them kicked out, trying to run them out of town pretty much. And this is happening right 
next door, all this madcap craziness uh, with Matt Damon's family. So as you can see, this was a bait and switch type of film. They were attempting to lure Matt Damon and Coen Brothers fans to this film with that type of black comedy. But they turned around and gave you something completely different. And I honestly think this movie would have worked 100% if the Coen brothers or one of the Coen brothers directed the film instead of George Clooney. George Clooney is I, – I, I like him. All of his movies are at least interesting. Uh, let's see. He did that football movie with John Krasansky about football in the 1920s or 1930s. And then he did The Monuments Men um, that came out five, six years ago now or so. Those are not fantastic movies by no means, but they are definitely entertaining movies. And, you know, at worst, they're good. <laughs> you know, they're just good. And Suburbicon, though, you have the 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 Coen brothers strong writing and then you have George Clooney's not very honed in direction guiding the film. There's some things that George Clooney as a director that he's cut out for. This movie, he gets things right maybe 85% of the time. And because this movie is also so bizarre and so just strange, and you're expecting people to accept all this despite being tricked into seeing this movie, he needed to take a stronger approach. And that's why a lot of people did not like this film. Again, George Clooney is a fine director when he has good material. He One of his first films he directed uh, was Good Night and Good Luck. Fantastic film. Very different than this film. That's a straightforward film. This film is not. This one is very complex. And it expects the audience to accept things that they're not used to accepting uh, when it comes to these kinds of films. And of course, if the Coen brothers or a Coen brother directed this film, just because a Coen brother directed it, I think a lot of people would turn a blind eye because that's what people do when somebody as prestigious as the Coen brothers, something they look at it and they automatically give it a passing grade and they, you know, they, they scale the film from there. Unfortunately, George Clooney got directorial duties and he had to start from ground zero. And it took a <laughs> it, it had to take a lot more to keep people on board uh, than the trailer and Matt Damon. But that is the reason why I'm the only one that liked Suburbicon. My my movie definitely takes also a weird left turn because I am covering a movie that was not quite a critical darling, if you will. It did get a passing grade, according to Rotten Tomatoes. It came in at a 64%, based on 47 reviews. So at least enough people liked it to kind of, you know, to say, hey, it's not a waste of your money or time. And yet, despite having an $80 million budget, despite being directed by Ron Howard... And despite having stars like Woody Harrelson, Ellen DeGeneres, Rob Reiner, Dennis Hopper, um, Martin Landau, this movie went on to make a mere $35.2 million at the box office. This movie is, of course, the Matthew McConaughey and Jenna Elfman romantic comedy, Ed TV. Folks, this is Cynthia Toppy. She's the program director at True TV. We're getting our butts kicked by the gardening channel. People would rather watch soil. One television network is about to begin an experiment. We're going to pick one person. We're going to put that person's life on television. What are we doing now? The chicken dance, baby. <laughs> this is the guy you want to go with. Yes. Morning. All right, here we go, Carlos. Just stay with them. What happens when you go to the bathroom? Do they go in with you? Why are we watching this? No reason. I just wanted to see what happened. He's checking out his own butt. Oh, wow. Oh, that's embarrassing. I think he's cute. Brush my teeth. What do you like about it? I don't know. Just let me watch. Stop it! 
What is it? It's my breast on the internet. You know, it wouldn't kill you to use a little more makeup. Universal Pictures and Imagine Entertainment bring you... You know what finally convinced me that this could work? Half a dozen wine coolers. The story of a nobody. The guy's a boob. That everybody's watching. I love this. America's latest craze is a guy named Ed. I love this guy. I just want to say I really love your show. I think you're great. <laughs> I want you to stay with him. Highest ratings, higher than the Super Bowl. Well, that's kind of the same thing, isn't it? A big build-up, and then, you know, one team just can't perform. Your birthday today, is Sherry good enough for Ed? Psycho chick. On television a minute, and already you got an attitude. Matthew McConaughey. Woo! Way to go, Ed! Jenna Elfman. All I can think about is you. It's a filthy show. Woody Harrelson, Ellen DeGeneres. He's a beetle. He's not a beetle, but he's a, he's a, a spice girl. Martin Landau, Elizabeth Hurley, and Rob Reiner. How about sex? I'm going to have to pass. And it's not an age thing, because you are still a handsome man. Ed TV. You know what? This is going right up your... Ed. Good old Ed. He's just a video store guy. And uh, you remember those, don't you? And the budding reality TV network, True TV, which I really think there is like a true... Isn't there True TV now? Like used to be Spike or something? I think there really is True TV now. That's pretty sad. Yeah, I, I don't think it used to be Spike. Well, maybe. But yeah, no, there's definitely True TV. Because I think that's what Impractical Jokers are on. A joke show on True TV. And there you have it. So in, in what turned out to be <laughs> a, a seminal... <laughs> and prescient uh, film. Ed TV follows the this up and coming television channel True TV in a reality TV uh, competition, if you will. They want to follow one guy, just your average Joe, and see what makes this guy tick. See if they can turn it into something. And Ed, who is played by Matthew McConaughey. Uh, and his brother are at a bar, Ray, who's played by Woody Harrelson. And they think that Woody Harrelson's character of Ray is actually the one that uh, is going to be getting it, getting the gig. But nope, Cynthia, played by Woody, uh, I'm sorry, played by Ellen DeGeneres, who is the TV exec behind this move, says, no, 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 there's something about Ed. And we want to film Ed. So Ed kind of... Not necessarily reluctantly, but definitely he's very trepidatious about it because he doesn't quite get what makes him special. And so he's like, but okay, some money would be nice. This could be fun. He agrees. And then, of course, uh, this is all occurring right as he meets this girl named uh, Sherry, who is actually... Ray's girlfriend, Ray was cheating on her, and he's kind of developing this relationship with her, and then of course shenanigans ensue, the movie kind of plays out from there. Now, this movie came out around the same time, if not the same year, The Truman Show, and let me check that, uh, 1998 was The Truman Show, whereas this was 1999, so people kind of thought it was a similar uh, take, but it's not, where Truman Show is absolutely a satire, uh, and Truman doesn't know what's happening, and absolutely does, and this is definitely reality TV at its core. Sorry, folks, I'm still dying. I'm dying a lot over here. I'm trying not to hack into the microphone. And so it it really does, what's really interesting about this movie, and I think it's something that w- I would say, while it may not have necessarily aged well overall, so many things we've seen develop in reality TV over the last 20 years, you really get to see that stuff in its infancy, if not um, in an outright birth, you can see in this film. And so I think it's really kind of interesting to watch this movie. I also, I just enjoy the, the movie on the whole. I've always liked Jenna Elfman. Uh, for the most part, I've always liked Matthew McConaughey. I think uh, Woody Harrelson is an understated genius in this film, comedically. And uh, it's just so well put together. And it's definitely a Ron Howard film through and through. 
Um, unfortunately, I think that it's a little, even for me, and I love this movie, I, I really do, but even I can recognize they take the reality TV side of it and it's really well done, but then the romantic comedy side of it suffers because it appears too sappy even for reality TV. And so I can see the kind of the flaws in it, but it's still just something that I... I enjoy. I own the movie. Um, and, I mean, come on. My, my brother, what's the name of the book? My Brother Shit on Me, I think is the name of the book or something. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it, it's definitely a movie to watch. So, my I'm the Only One Who Liked It is 1999's Ed TV. I think with that, we can close this edition of I'm the Only One Who Liked It. Next week, we will be doing some news. We haven't done news for a couple of weeks, so we're going to bring you some news. Isn't that right, Tim? Yes, unless we just want to talk about It Chapter 2 so much because it was such an amazing, wonderful, fantastic, mind-blowing film. Well, it might be. So this week, as you guys know, ladies and gentlemen, as you guys and gals know, uh, we're not having a, a flick segment proper. We're not having a movie segment proper because we are going to be talking about a very special Did It Age Well. Uh, we're going to be covering The Matrix. Uh, next week, we will also not be having a movie segment proper. Um, we will be uh, doing a copycat throwdown where we will be completing the cycle of It. So a couple years ago, and allow me to illuminate that right quick here. Let the copycat throwdown switch. Let's see. Back in episode 247, back in September of 2017, we did uh, It from 2017 versus It Part 1 from 1990. So we thought we would complete that cycle by having a very special uh, copycat throwdown. We'll talk about It Chapter 2 from 2019 versus It Part 2 from 1990. And that will be our special next week. But this week, we discuss on Did It Age Well, The Matrix. Whoa. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? What is happening to me? The answer is out there, Neo. It's the question that drives us. What is the Matrix? The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? They're watching you, Neo. Human beings are a disease. You are a cancer of this planet. And we are the cure. Get me the hell out of here! Welcome to the real world. So you're here to save the world. So what do you need? Guns. Lots of guns. No one has ever done anything like this. That's why it's going to work. Buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy. Because Kansas is going bye-bye. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. So yes, this is the 1999 science fiction action film written and directed by the Wachowskis. Um, and... Uh, and of course, for those who may have been living under a rock and especially might have been confused by the unaltered, uh, credits, uh, yes, they were initially the Wachowski brothers. Uh, they have both actually since transitioned and so now they are just simply the Wachowskis. Uh, this is a film that of course stars Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving, and Joe Pantoliano. And it is the first installment in the Matrix franchise, which spanned three movies, a series of animated films, very short animated films called The Animatrix, if you are so interested, and a video game called Enter the Matrix. Uh, and of course, this is the one where everybody thinks they're just living our, their lives like we think we're living our lives. But in reality, we're in a computer program 
200 years in the future, and there's been a battle between humans and machines, and I guess you could say currently the machines are definitely kicking our ass. Uh, uh, in the Matrix, of course, uh, Lawrence Fishburne plays Morpheus, a very powerful um, a dissident, if you will, an insurgent, who is in search for the one, who, and he believes that Keanu Reeves is the one. Neo is the one where he meets up with Trinity, and they ride on the Nebuchadnezzar, and they know about zion biblical references much anyway that's the movie we're talking about now um now this movie actually was also written by the wachowskis and was uh produced by joel silver so that is really really cool uh i am dying to know this movie had 63 million dollar budget uh ended up doing 463 and a half million dollars worldwide uh, and launched pretty much the entire special effects of the 21st century here. So, uh, it also more or less launched action for the 21st century here as well. Um, I don't know, Tim, I mean, just generally, what, what are, what are your thoughts on this? So when this film came out, I was 12 years old, I think. Let's see. I was in the fifth. No, I was not. I was uh, like 10 or so. So I was in the fifth grade. And I remember being in the fifth grade and this movie was the shit. I had friends whose parents were cool and took them to go see it. Uh, but my dad, because it was rated R, he didn't think it would be appropriate for me, a young fifth grader, to go see uh, but really, once uh, it came out on DVD, we were told that there's actually not any cursing. There's no gratuitous nudity. It's just gun violence and fighting. And if you're able to just enjoy the movie as just a fun action movie, because at the time, uh, uh, Jackie Chan was huge for us kids. And we were watching Jackie Chan movies all the freaking time. Well, there wasn't that much different with The Matrix, other than there being uh, gratuitous gun violence, you know, and action and crazy techno music. Uh, you know, there was not much you know, of, a, of a difference there. So I was finally able to watch it at home on DVD. Yes, DVD, because at the time we just got our very first DVD player and the film blew me away. I absolutely loved it. Um, I knew at, watching it at that time that the special effects was um was way ahead of its time uh the story was something deeply weird but incredibly enduring um i thought it was also very interesting that everybody kept saying that they couldn't understand the plot here i am a six maybe i guess it was summer of my fifth grade year when i finally got to watch it i can't remember but here i am watching the film and after watching it tw uh, two times in a row I knew what the movie was about. I grasped what was going on. That's how much I loved the film. It was just a visual feast that I haven't seen. I mean, nothing could compare to it at that time, you know, uh, and um, and that was just me as a, you know, as a as a 10 year old, 10, 11 year old. Now, when I watch it, there's still not that many films that can be compared to The Matrix, other than a couple of The Matrix knockoffs that came out after The Matrix. Um, and of course, you have Dark City that uh, was actually filmed right before The Matrix, and The Matrix even used some of the sets from Dark City. Uh, Alex Proyas, who directed Dark City, also directed The Crow. So, you know, you can make some comparisons with visual styles and whatnot, but you know, the, the mix with the sci-fi leather S&M grunge, you know, with crazy gun action and kung fu, it, it was just something absolutely spectacular. So it should go without saying that I was very excited when a few months ago I heard that uh, The Matrix was getting a 4K re release. Um since I did not see the movie in the theater and I grew up watching it on DVD, I actually have only seen the movie 
in its regular widescreen format one other time. And that was when I noticed that it was on like Amazon Prime or something uh, like a year and a half, two years ago. And I went back and rewatched the whole trilogy. That was the first time I saw the first Matrix in its widescreen format because the DVD, you had either widescreen or you had standard definition. We had a big screen TV and my dad thought, well, I want the picture to take up the entire screen. So, of course, we got the standard definition, which was still cool, but you missed out on a lot. And um, now this being my second time seeing the Matrix in its widescreen in all of its widescreen glory it was an absolute treat i saw it in dolby atmos i even sat on the like the third seat to the to the right so i wasn't even sitting in the middle and the sound design you know the remix was absolutely spectacular it blew me out of my seat um the 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 gunfights never sounded better (laughs) uh the the music used in the film, the bombastic, beautiful orchestrations, and even the techno music, absolutely splendid. Um, it was definitely not only just a feast for your eyes, but this time around, it was a feast for my ears. It was just absolutely wonderful. I was giddy and smiling, uh, grinning from ear to ear throughout the entire two hour plus runtime. Uh, it, it was absolutely wonderful. Um, how about you, Matt? I mean, I assume that you were a big fan when it first come, came out. Um, were you a little bit worried about seeing it remastered? I know some movies, especially when they're special effects heavy, even for the late 90s, when they do get that 4K remaster, you start noticing certain things. And before I get into certain things that bugged me and that I thought I didn't like, I just kind of wanted to get an idea of your thoughts well, okay, so I was 22 when this movie came out. Oh, okay, just a, just a hair before I turned 22 since it came out at the end of March uh, in 99. And I uh, definitely enjoyed this movie. Now, I grew up with computers and stuff, so this was not a very hard concept for me to understand. I thought that the... I think one of the reasons why... The Matrix, the first one, has withstood the test of time in terms of fan favorites, in terms of good sci-fi, is because, um, much like what they say in Dan Brown's book, Angels and Demons, good science fiction has its basis in good science. Um, and they use good science here. They're taking, and the science, though, is not necessarily, you know, biochemistry or anything though there is kind of an allusion to that in terms of you know neo being called a copper top if you will but that of computers you have to remember we were still in the nascent age of the internet and while it was starting to grow and people were kind of getting an idea of things beyond aol uh though it was still the chief method at that time people um, people were really just starting to kind of buy into computers as a whole. So to, to, to be able to sit there and think, well, geez, in 200 years, why, you know, especially with the development of AI, and we've already seen the likes earlier in the decade with Terminator 2, why can't we have a different world where AI took over and then uses a computer program and plugs us into it? I, I get it, you know, so it, so for me, I did not have any problems with the plot. Another one though, that I really, another thing that I really enjoyed the aspect and I feel has aged remarkably well are the digital effects, mainly because we were still in this wonderful heyday where people understood the difference between principle and practical effects and digital effects. They also understood how to use them properly as a tool. Not to mention um, the bullet time photography and uh, that that setup was literally developed, not necessarily invented, but you could argue it's, it was invented as well, but definitely developed specifically for this film. And 
that gave us so much amazing, such an amazing foundation for special effects action movies uh, to build on, especially in the kung fu world. Just like Tim was saying with Jackie Chan and stuff, you got to remember, Rumble the Bronx is right around is is during this time. Uh, we're gonna get we're gonna be seeing Rush Hour uh, really soon, and these kinds of movies. So, well, Rush Hour to, would have to, come out before came out the yeah that came out a year or two before. Did it come out? Yeah, that was ninety seven. I thought. Was okay for some reason. I thought um, Rush Hour was like 2000 or something, but Rush Hour um, Two was 2001, I think. Okay, yeah. Oh no, no I totally deferred you on that. I, uh, um, but so you can kind of see where people are still infatuated with kung fu, and they just understood the Wachowskis simply understood what it was that they had, and they were and they wisely shepherded the process, and you can see that. On the film, even today. I think that in terms of... Now, I went and saw... Uh, I took my wife and my eldest daughter to go and see this movie uh, today. And we saw it in the Dolby Theater. And while I loved the visuals... And yes, I mean, some of it has definitely aged. You can certainly see some of the age on it. Um, it did not in any way, shape, or form diminish my enjoyment of the effects or the visuals. Um, and I kept making sure to look over at my daughter whenever, you know, because let's face it, Matrix is definitely a darker colored, darker hued film. So on the few occasions when it's bright enough to look over, I did check to see how into the movie she was. And I mean, she was on pretty much the edge of her seat the whole time. So yay, good, good job. Uh, the sound, though, um, we were in the Dolby Theater, and I've been in the Dolby Theater at this particular theater. This is for whatever it's worth, anybody listening here in the Houston area, AMC Metro Park. It's the newest one they have here in our area. I I think this theater, on the whole, but especially in Dolby, I think they've confused turning the volume up to 11 with good sound overall, um, and I think they need to fix that. Because the movie was just obnoxiously loud. It was not, it didn't make it good. Um, and so it actually kind of detracted from it, which was disappointing. Uh, I think it's actually been so loud, turned up for so long, like you could hear some of the, some of the ceiling tiles rattling and stuff in the theater. Um, one of the speakers actually sounded like it was blown. And I just think it's because they just keep it turned up all the time. It's kind of stupid. So. That's not on the movie, though. That's on the theater. Um, but, I mean, yeah. I love the plot. I love the film. I think the film overall stands up, even through its visuals and its sound. But there are definitely some issues, because Jen and I... So, sorry, yeah, the wife and I were laughing uh, several times in the film. Um, so, Tim, what, what, what are some of your <laughs> nitpicks? shall we say so despite the obvious aged aged effects um i still enjoyed the hell out of this movie i took my more significant other and she did not care for it um she kept wanting to fall asleep throughout the entire thing and that our theater was loud it was loud so that kept her awake um she thought it was four hours long she didn't realize it was only two hours um, and she thought it was cheesy and majorly dated, all quotes there. Um, but this is also coming from somebody who thought when you first hear Morpheus <laughs> on the telephone, she thought it was the actor Peter Gallagher, not Lawrence Fishburne. Do you know who Peter Gallagher is, Matt? I would, I would totally pay money to see a bald Peter Gallagher wearing shades. For this movie. Are you kidding me? Oh my god, yes. I I know who Peter Gallagher is. So he couldn't wear those so shades. Funny. Those those shades without the without the you know, the the damage that hold Yeah, the, the pince nez, yeah, yeah, the pince nez. Because style, his yeah. eyebrows are so bushy, they would just pop off every time he tried to put them <laughs> on. But yeah, so maybe folks out there, if you have a significant other or somebody you want to take seat film, they have not seen it before. Um, be prepared because it's not a for sure thing that they'll at least appreciate the film <laughs> because I thought at least I, I get it. Action, sci-fi, loud fighting isn't really her bag, but 
even the idea that this film came out 20 years ago uh, wasn't enough to 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 impress her. Um, California girl, I'll, I'll just say that, but we all still love her. Um, I, you know, th- to me, at least the visual effects really shows its age uh, in the last act when a lot of this really cool when it when all when the effects are turned up to 11, you know, for, you know, for, in, for 1999 standards, I mean, you have the bullet dodging, you have Neo jumping into the agent, Agent Smith, and then breaking Agent Smith apart uh, in 4K. Unfortunately, you see a lot of the outline of the characters. Uh, for instance, when uh, Neo and Morpheus are in that program and he sees the woman in red and everything just freezes, you just see where they're cut out and they're like being digitally imposed into uh into that still shot of all the people frozen you know um you can see all this stuff you can see the blurred lines and i apologize i don't know all the movie jargon but i hope uh my horrible layman's terms uh you know is getting across um but all the blurred lines where you can see the picture edits are more apparent you can see where they try to hide crew and equipment and uh and and reflections of like sunglasses or doorknobs um if you haven't seen the movie before and you don't know what's happening you know i i guess you probably wouldn't notice it but somebody like me who has seen the movie a lot of times i was really trying to pay attention to certain things and maybe i was being a little bit too nitpicky but you know couldn't help myself um but my the biggest problem i had with the film and believe it or not, I still had this problem with the film back in 1999. Um, the, the shot where Neo jumps into uh, Agent Smith, that still doesn't make sense whatsoever to me as, you know, from a story perspective. But the CGI of him coming apart looks bad, superimposed. But then there's also the great blow up scene when the lobby of the building is being blown up after, uh, you know, after they do their fighting and all that stuff. And you see that door being blown off its hinges and is traveling with the fire in slow motion. And it's just, you know, tumbling down this hallway still looks bad. It looks even worse now, but it looked bad back in 1999. Uh, the bullet effects definitely did not hold up. And it was around this time when I started to think, you know, I started to wonder, like, there's so much of this movie that looks fantastic. I'd be curious into hearing your reaction, Matthew, if they decided to go back and maybe redo some of the special effects because there's like a handful of them that are clearly dated and it's just like if man if they just went back and fixed some of those bullet effects god it it would just it would be perfect like it wouldn't be that uh you know it it wouldn't it wouldn't be that kind of an eyesore you know uh, annoyance therefore i think more people now would still appreciate the effects a little a little bit more you know not saying that they're going to completely get rid of the current version of the film but like what they did with the star trek uh tv series the original tv series they remastered some of the effects and you know it adds a little bit more to the to the show you know it you know kind of livens it up a little bit What what do you think about that um, well, okay, so I think in, in as much as yes, okay, so they had an opportunity with TNG that they did not have with any of the other series. Well, that and the original series, I guess. Uh, because it was filmed on film, um, they were able to use the original masters and then go in and touch up uh, the exteriors so that um, the aliens that they interact with on screen or the space shots and the planet shots, all those kinds of things could be updated and would look really good. Um, and so I, the problem is, is that so much of the effects that are involved, involve the people who are performing. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a couple of scenes like where the, um, where the Nebuchadnezzar is getting attacked, like at the end and everything and and the, the squiddies as they're affectionately known, um, are coming through. So, I mean, they could definitely maybe touch those up or something, but honestly, 
I don't mind those. I don't mind that age. And the reason I don't mind the age is because you see so much use of CGI now that looks 10 times worse True. than yeah. the Matrix from 20 years ago. And we're talking, and I'm not talking um, TV shows. I'm talking, you know, big budget movies that have come out within the last two or three years. And they're just kind of like, what the hell is up with the CGI? Fast and the Furious, so, I think, is a great example. Absolutely. And so I'm sitting here going, come on now. Um, it, we can't even get it right in 2019. So as far as I'm concerned... I'm willing to give 1999 a pass. Um, I also think that by nature, just by virtue of what we do here, you know, uh, Tim and I have a more critical eye. And I think that I, and I think it, um, which I think is good because obviously what the hell are we doing this for? Right. Um, but at the same time, when I look over and I see that, uh, my wife and my daughter are like riveted. And my daughter's never seen this before. She doesn't know much about anything. She's very, she's kind of loosely heard of Matrix stuff, but she doesn't, she never even really knew what the movie was about. And I mean, she was all over it today. So, someone who's her age, who's grown up with, you know, Pixar films for animation and has grown up with the new Star Wars, the new, new, new Star Wars movies, right? Uh, and she's seen them all. Uh, she's seen all the Marvel movies. She's seen uh, the DC movies. So she has actually seen what technology can bring to the table now. And she's still all over the Matrix the first time out. I would say that it would not be necessary. Though, perhaps maybe the machine world... Um, and other small aspects where the people aren't as as involved or put into the scenes, yes, I would I would say, hey, clean those up, touch those up. Did you mention the Academy Awards that it won? I did not, but I did want to say right quick, um, the one problem that I would say if I could fix anything with the movie, mm-hmm. um, like I said, the wife and I kind of chuckled, uh, found ourselves chuckling a few times. <clears throat> Some of the writing, especially for Keanu, Whoa. hasn't really aged. <laughs> well, not even, you know what? I'd give the woe a pass. I'll give the woe a pass mainly because, I mean, come on. Who, who among us, uh, amongst us has not seen something amazing and going, whoa, right? Okay. So it just, we can't help it. It is a bit of a holdover from Bill and Ted. So what are you going to do? But, um, Winnie is being coaxed out onto the windowsill from the building the first time he talks to Morpheus on the phone. Oh, yeah. I think I know where you're going and, with this. I don't know what, what, what are you even talking about? I don't know why they're doing this to me. I don't, stupid. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Come like, on, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Oh, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. He's trying to build tension there was with some the dialogue. Writing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, and the writing, the writing, um, it's probably may improv. have needed a little bit of touch. It may be, but the, at the end of the day, between the Wachowskis and, hang on, between the Wachowskis and Zach St- uh, Steinberg, um, they left it in there, so that's just as much on them. Well, I'm not gonna uh, lie, no, I, I, I think, uh, up, up until maybe a few years ago, when I when I went when I rewatched the movie because I didn't see it for years, um, I thought I could have sworn I would have told anybody that Keanu Reeves did a great acting job in, in in the Matrix, but I just think maybe I was so jaded by how awesome the movie is as a whole <laughs> that the acting of Keanu Reeves took a backseat because Lawrence Fishburne is fantastic. The lady who plays the Oracle is fantastic. Oh, God. Isn't she just the best? Yeah. I was so sad. Spoiler alert for those who are not in the know after all this time. Um, she died in real life. The actress who plays the Oracle passed away in real life. And let me see if I can find... Uh, Gloria Foster, okay, uh, is her name. And she actually passed away in real life in between the making... In between the release of The Matrix and the starting of filming of Revolutions and... Or Reloaded and Revolutions. So they had to hire another actress. And it's not that she didn't do a good job. The the, the new lady did a good job. And, and they even are like, hey, you look different. She's like, ah, you know, I got, you know, it's... 
same shell or a different shell, same program kind of a thing. All right. So that, but I'm sorry. Gloria Foster fucking killed it, man. She just killed it. It was so good. Uh, sorry. But as, sorry, I didn't mean to jump off there. No, no, that's cool. But yeah. as for awards, <laughs> uh, they, in 2000, the Matrix took an Oscar for, uh, Oscars for best film editing, best sound, best effects, sound effects, editing, and, uh, best visual effects. So, yeah, uh, that was another thing I noticed while watching the movie is how great the editing is. The editing, the film editing is fan friggin tastic. And I mentioned this earlier, but the score is fantastic. You know, the use of the big bombastic orchestra mixed with like the techno at times. I mean, God, it just like it nailed these wonderful beats, you know, that's just super satisfying. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, although I did notice in 4K, uh, you really notice Agent Smith's awful British teeth, and no kidding, right? And, uh, I thought he's New Zealand. Is he? I thought he was Aussie. I, oh, he is. Oh, I guess he is. Uh, but then you also more so notice 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 the Fishburne uh, teeth gap. Yes, and um, it's pretty clear he had acne when he was younger as well, because the acne scars were real. Um, I was noticing that was like stupid crystal clear at that point. You can, but you can, you can, I felt like you, you owed it to, uh, to life to measure the distance between Fishburne's front teeth <laughs> and count the pot marks, I suppose. So it has been reported that original creators of the Matrix have been tasked to create a follow-up film, The Matrix 4. What do you think about that? Is that a good idea, bad well, it's idea? Just, it's just Lana. It's just Lana now. It is. You're right, right. But I also think she was kind of the main creative force. Like, if you watch the uh, some of the behind-the-scenes materials, I'm honestly going off of memory uh, from watching uh, the behind-the-scenes features on the DVD so many times that whenever you see the two of them on set working with people and kind of taking control, she was always the one that seemed to be in the, to be in the forefront. So I, but I mean, like, do you think that's a good idea? Do you think it's interesting at all? Okay. So this is something that I am curious about and something. Okay. Um, I apologize if what I say sounds insensitive because I swear it is not from any kind of insensitive place. It is actually from a true place of curiosity and something that I have been thinking about since I heard this news. So 20 years ago, the Wachowskis clearly pre-transition. I think it would be arguable that most people weren't even aware that, that they had this desire to transition. Um, and so we have this creative force and then they were known as the Wachowski brothers. And I would, I'm actually very interested to see now that they've had 20 years of being a creative phenomenon. And while they have not been able to truly replicate the success as it were overall of the matrix, um, they've come out with some amazingly interesting ideas and other films that now that we can see on the other side, right? I mean, there's just so many different things and themes and philosophies and stuff that went into the Matrix in and of itself. And you think about where they were in their lives at that time and where they would have been in that process where they were considered the Wachowski brothers. And now coming out from that side... What What is this perspective of the Matrix going to look like in 2019, 20 years later, from Lana's point of view? And I am, I am absolutely, I will say, first and foremost, super curious. Super curious about um, all of that kind of stuff. I think it will, I think it is going to be very fascinating to see what can be brought to the table now. Not to mention, we're getting... Keanu Reeves back. We're getting Carrie Ann Moss back. Um, 
so there, there's going to be something to be said for all of that as well. I think it'll be interesting to see what's going on in terms of how you can make this work. If you're bringing back Trinity and Neo, how are you not going to bring back Morpheus? And I guess how are you not bringing back Agent Smith? So those are where my questions are, I guess, if that makes any sense. I don't know. Did I completely take this off? No, I think uh, you're, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's kind of all up in the air. I mean, you're dealing with computers and random. I'm okay. I'm just going to stop talking because I have, I know nothing about technology. And so I have a feeling if I say you're dealing with random access memory, I have a feeling that in my mind that meant something when really it probably doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> Basically, they're dealing with technology and computers and science and all this crap. I'm sure they're going to figure out some way to like reboot the system that brings people back. I don't know. Um, yeah, because Keanu Reeves, Neo definitely goes bye-bye at the end of Resolutions. However, I am, though, looking forward uh, to revisiting. Hopefully, they do this for the 20th anniversary for Reloaded and and uh, in the third Matrix film, because... Matrix Revolution. Yeah, because yeah. I actually really like, really like Reloaded, and even Revolutions is good. Well, if I may, now I know we, um, you know, were discussing, I shall say, that's the word I shall use, on Twitter, a guy by the name of Patrick uh, H. Willems. He's a pretty big YouTuber. He does a lot of video essays. And he actually does a really, really good in-depth view of what happened to The Matrix. Uh, I want to say it's probably... I mean, it, it is a bit of a watch because I want to say it's like 35 minutes or something like that. But he is someone who is like a super, super huge Matrix fan. And I mean all the way across the board. Um. And so he has a lot of discussions about what does it mean, you know, what, what, what did it mean to the Wachowskis? What did it mean to cinema? What made it so that the movies, the subsequent movies were not as well received overall? Um, you know, why would you want to fix them if you could? That kind of stuff. Um, so I would really love to know what you thought about that. If you can get a chance, especially if you're someone who enjoyed Reloaded and Revolutions. Yeah, I'll take a look at it for sure. So cool. All right. Well, um, so I'm thinking uh, I feel it's aged well. Um, Do you feel that you feel it's aged well? Oh, totally. Definitely. Oh, okay. Very good. Well, I just want to make sure we had the the official uh, thing. And and I know that um, my wife had a good time watching the movie, and my daughter absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. So, yeah, I'm so glad that they did this, and I can't wait to see what happens with the other two. So it'll be interesting because the movies, the 20-year the anniversaries for the uh, for the sequels, Reloaded and Revolutions, uh, were in 2003. So we got to wait a few more years on those. I'll take a 15-year anniversary. Why not? Or 16, 16-year, 16 whatever it is now. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, that does conclude our special bonus segment of Did It Age Well Again. Uh, next week, we are going to be doing a special uh, bonus segment again, uh, covering It Chapter 2 from 2019 versus It Part 2 from 19. 90. And without further ado, I believe we are now down to the spiel, are we not, sir? Spiel on! Oh, stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's going to catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama raised no dummies. I duck a rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. It's a cutting thing. She only sees it. We say be sure to be Chomp the one to help. Chomp don't get the care. Say can't hang. Say seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in here. Oh. 
ride while the music you've been listening to as always has been brought to us by music partners Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we're of course the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt on Twitter at MitTwit12345. You can of course come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget to you know and subscribe to us on iTunes and our favorite on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down on the old Oh, my head hurts, and I can't think of it right now. What's the Spotify? other one? We're on Spotify. Yeah, <laughs> we're on Spotify and other podcast directories. Uh, if you would like to support the show, please check head on over to Patreon.com and check us out over there. And so until next week, this is a very confused and confuddled Matt saying that thanks to Carrie Ann Moss, I could say this. After the Matrix, I cannot wear sunglasses. As soon as I put them on, people recognize me. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, farewell, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.